Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and I'm very excited to bring back Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com and CBC Sports. Vivek, thanks so much for, for taking the time and coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Uh, I also it. wanted to first st- say a little bit like you. Um, I had Ian, Ian Mendez on last week, and and um, you really helped me kind of build this podcast. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. And um, uh, sky's the limit for your career. I've been following you, and you're doing amazing stuff. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and coming on. Well, that's very kind of you to say, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you're asking a lot of great questions and getting a lot of great answers, and so people are tuning in for that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And um, I want to ask a little bit about kind of your career. And we obviously, people um, probably remember what we talked about back, I think it was in September, but I want to ask you a little bit more about kind of your your process for writing. Like, what is it? How? What stories do you like to write about? Um, kind of how does a story come about for you? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think for me, it's been about, you know, really getting comfortable with what I'm curious about. So I will say that, you know, the great thing when I was at, say, for example, when I started with B-Ball Breakdown or when I was at North Pole Hoops or Raptors Republic, like you had full autonomy, right? Like you could really write about whatever you wanted um, as long as it was like constructive and you know, actually (laughs) good, good analysis. And, um, that gave you a lot of freedom. And so that made me very comfortable. And then, uh, I think you get into like, once you get credentialed and you're in media and this and that, I think initially, um, I did get, you know, a bit, um, I don't know if nervous is is the right word, but like, I didn't want to, sound like an idiot or ask a stupid question. Um, and so I would take the time to just like, listen to what, you know, the people who are regulars, uh, what they're asking and being like, Oh, okay. So that's what a good question is. That was, and then over time it was like, Oh, okay. The stuff I'm interested in isn't being asked about or isn't really being talked about. And then I just like went with it. Right. Um, and then I think, that helped me because it's like when you write about something that you're genuinely curious about, something that you're genuinely passionate about, I think you'll tell a much better story and you'll put that much more effort into it. And so that's what I focus on is like, hey, what's like piquing my interest as, uh, you know, I'm taking notes during a game or, you know, thinking more big picture. Uh, and and then from there, I kind of build it out. Right? And I think the other thing too is like, I won't, necessarily stay married to like one line of thinking where you know i might think something is happening and then the numbers don't back it up Mm. it won't be like oh i'm just not going to include these numbers i'm gonna be like oh okay why are the numbers showing this what am i not seeing right and then maybe now you tell a different story right Mm. and so i think all of that contributes to it um but yeah, I think number one thing for me in the process is just like watching, you know, finding that curiosity from what I'm watching um, and then going from there. And and I, can you give us an example where either a story you wrote where it went kind of as, as you mentioned, went the other way, you, you thought the data would back up maybe what you were writing or maybe a question that you felt as though the other journalists weren't. Uh, touching upon and then you wrote about that 
Um, I, uh, I think there was one where when Dwayne Casey was head coach and I think there was a rotation, um, a substitution pattern that was being criticized. Um, and it was very much like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Um, but sometimes it's almost like you're also as a coach, I think just biting the bullet in certain situations where it's like, okay, this is my best lineup. Yeah. I can have this for so long. I might have to sacrifice here. And it's like, okay, if you're sacrificing in like low leverage moments, that's why, you know, whenever you watch most of the complaints that will happen when you're watching a game, whichever team it is, whichever team's fan base it is, when do you see the complaints? It's early second quarter, early fourth quarter. But what are they trying to do? <laughs> They're trying to finish the half strong. They're trying to finish the game strong, right? And yeah. so it's like, yeah, of course you want to, the dream is to have that bench mob, right? That mm -hmm. comes in and plays great and uh, and you're just good to go, right? But that's not always the case. So when you've got certain situations where it's like, you just got to make the most of what you have and like make sure that, you know, you're in the strongest position to finish. I think that's something um, that you just have to recognize as, as well. You know, it's not as easy as, you know, just being like, oh, the net rating is minus this and therefore he's doing a terrible job. No, I'm 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 just thinking off the top of my head. I think of the Raptors versus Sixers series, and Embiid was like a plus twenty on like on off, and then when they had him off, he, they were like minus forty in like ten minutes. But it's also you can't play Joel Embiid forty eight minutes a game, right? Like at a certain point, you have to, I think, as you said, bite the bullet. And like that at the time, Brett Brown, that's not necessarily his fault. Um, like maybe he could have done different lineups but at the same time you can't play Joel Embiid 48 minutes so yeah it's just as much on roster construction yeah. right yeah. like um you know th this wasn't a story I wrote recently or anything like that but watching you know Manchester United play and there was that uh mistake that Harry Maguire made uh, off the pass from David De Gea right and a lot of people were critical of David De Gea saying, how can he make that pass to Maguire? He should know better because Maguire is bound to make that mistake. And it's like, this is like a top level professional footballer asking for the ball. Yeah. Like if you're going to blame De Gea in that situation, you might as well just blame Ten Hag then for playing him at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, 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 for sure. And, and it's, it's like, like, yeah, yeah. And that's where I think it just becomes like, you know, once someone becomes like the norm for criticism and like just becomes that easy sort of target, um, which I think De Gea has been like, I don't think he's a perfect goalkeeper. I don't think, no. I think he's even dropped out of like, if someone were to say he's no longer a great keeper, I agree with that because yeah. like his ball, all the categories that go into what makes a great goalkeeper now is very different than when, you know, say the first five years of his career. Right. And so, um, it, right now the only thing you'd say great about him is his shot stopping right which is still elite um so i think stuff like that um i definitely try not to just like ride the wind of what like everyone's talking about and we were talking off air a little bit but uh, about 
how journalists these days manage relationships with players and or management. And I know when I uh, listeners don't know, but I went and watched a Raptors game and we spoke about how you, I think at the time, I think it was in January, you had a, a feature on Precious Achua, a member of the Raptors. How do you kind of make and uh, maintain and develop a relationship with a player, but also write honestly and critically and ask hard questions? So the second part of that first, I, I will say like, I'm not able to ask as hard a question as I want to. Oh. Uh, the last two years, like just by nature of working for raptors.com, mm-hmm. um, like I'm not going to be super critical of the team, right? That's okay. not the role I'm in, right? And so that's probably another important point in the writing, right? Where it's like, at the end of the day, you have to cater to what your outlet wants from you, mm-hmm. right? What raptors.com would want me to do is very different than what yahoo would have wanted me to do years ago or sportsnet or whoever right and so you have to fit uh, your curiosities your interests within that as well right um so you know for me i think uh, i always enjoy when a player is just like honest and upfront about um their struggles uh and you know i think as easy as my job is when everything is going well um like i remember last season when precious had kind of turned it around i had asked him like hey um what were you telling yourself when all the struggles were happening uh because You know, a lot of people are like, hey, what did Chris Boucher tell you? What did coach tell you? What did Fred tell you? What did Pascal tell you to like keep your head up? And I was just kind of like, yo, what were you saying to yourself? And he was like, I'm good. Hmm. He's like, that's what I told myself. I am good. I know I am good at basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I was like, that's just like a ridiculous level of confidence to have, right? Where you know what the narrative was around you, right? Like everyone is coming at you from all angles um, saying, hey, don't do this, don't do that. Um, And that he was trying too much and this and that. And he kind of just was like, at some point it's going to turn. And he never wavered from that. And so uh, telling that part of the story was cool. And so again, like with this season now, the next step for me is like, I also take a lot of pride in, sort of remembering the narrative, right? And remembering uh, sort of the dateline, if you will, where it's like, okay, I know he has that level of confidence. I know, you know, what he was telling himself. Okay, so how is this struggle now different, right? What is changing now? And now that makes it a different story. Yeah, no, no, that that, that makes a lot of sense. And when you're covering, what's it like to be covering a team and, and the Raptors and writing for them like day in and day out and, and being around the players and being around the team. What's that like? Yeah. So this season was definitely interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think you could tell, uh, you know, at a certain point um, that the mood had shifted and uh, you know, they, they were doing their best to like stick together. But I think, there was also like you could just read the frustration, right? Yeah. And uh, 
I think when you look at Pascal's answers, for example, right? Like in the second half of the season, his ratio of like responding to a question or at least starting off his answer to a question with, I don't know mm. where he just be like, Hey, like, why do you think your team is getting off to slow starts and this and that is like, Oh, I don't know. And it's like, mm. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he'd sort of be like, you know, he'd sort of get back to it and like answer the question. But those are things where when you're around the team every day, like now you really start to sense it. Right. Um, when Fred Van Vliet is saying, you know, over and over again, I'm really proud of the group for sticking together. Right. Um, you realize that, you know, there's things going on where it's like, they're kind of just saying, Hey, let's just like get to the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then whatever needs to happen will happen. Um, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I think that stuff, when you're not covering the team daily, uh, you don't have that through line, right? That's why also like when new faces come in and they ask a question that you know has been asked like at least like 10 times at this point. Um, but it's kind of like, hey, it is what it is. This person's like literally yeah. here for the first time this season. Like they wouldn't know any better, right? Like yeah. you're not, especially if they're like used to like covering a different sport and they're suddenly co covering the Raptors or whatever for this week or whatever it might be. Like you're not ex going to expect them to be on top of like every press conference that's happened this season. I, I want to go off that because I know at least in the media, I think people talk, I think Will Lou talked about it on the Raptors show, but how Nick Nurse was asked a question from a Philadelphia uh, sports writer. I think it was Keith Pompey, but I could be wrong about mm -hmm. his future. And he gave kind of a very famous quote about essentially, I don't know. And at that time, it seemed as though he be, would be returning at least, or it didn't seem as though as murky and obviously he got fired. But what do you think that's like for maybe like in the media, because there's less journalists being able to go on the road and, and stuff how does that affect covering a team for you yeah i think it has a huge impact uh i think you know even for example with uh, the credentials now like they have like a tiered system right mm. where it's like i didn't know that them there's like a certain set of reporters who can at home can go into the locker room and others can't really um and so that that's been the setup like since uh you know since they removed the covid restrictions okay and so all that impacts like the storytelling impacts like the relationship building all of that right like before it was pretty much uh like pre-pandemic it was like a free-for-all like if you had a credential you could go into the locker room whatever right um and so yeah all of that has changed um you, and now i think Sorry, go ahead. Do you think that's like a good thing for the industry? Like, it seems to me that that's not helpful for for journalism and and. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a good thing. I I don't think it's yeah, and and to be honest, like this is like mandated by the league, right? Mm. This isn't like a Raptors thing. This is okay. like every arena has its tiers, it has a tiered. And uh, is there a rationale and, for it? Is, what's the rationale that there's their rationale was like minimizing, like still like the like the contact within the locker room and like the number of people in the locker room and that type of thing. Um, 
and you know i guess you know you did have players who did miss time for you know covid and things like that still this season right so um they they're definitely able to like validate it when stuff like that is happening so uh do i agree with it no um and frankly i felt like uh on some level uh the tampa season actually leveled the playing field hmm. where now it's like oh we're all stuck covering from home and yeah. we're all on these zooms and so now with all of that evened out who's telling the best stories now right um so i thought that was interesting to see um now obviously like you know people are going to have their contacts and be able to get in touch with uh different people depending on the relationships that they've built but uh you know that maybe advantage that other people had was removed and one one thing uh i i thought that was really interesting this season as well was there were teams that actually learned from the pandemic hmm. um, and kept going with it in the sense that, so, you know, you had all these Zooms set up, right, for pressers. And now on the road, for example, the Bucks were a team that would still do Zoom on hmm. their road games. Oh. Um, so people who weren't traveling could, could still ask could. questions. So it was more you're saying it was more egalitarian in that in that sense yeah and i was like man i would love if the raptors were still doing that right not everyone has the opportunity to travel and you know and so uh you know it is what it is they've chosen not to do it and, and i would say the vast majority of teams have chosen not to do it like i remember the bucks because like they were one of the few that actually were like no we're just gonna keep this thing going and right? and, it's, and it's interesting because that Giannis clip um after they lost uh, in game five that like, that was with a very prominent i believe athletic bucks reporter the other yeah, eric nem has been covering yeah. the team for a long time and yeah. so that's interesting because i don't know i mean i don't know if he's been with them day in and day out but maybe he felt he could they had that rapport where you get an honest answer because they're always together and then always at least having that dialogue mm-hmm. no for sure 100 percent. yeah and i want to ask you like to move a little bit to the Raptors and obviously you mentioned, I think every Raptors fan knows how disappointing a season it was. And, and you've alluded to it. What went wrong for, for this team this year in in your mind? Was it coaching? Was it management? I mean, you could probably say it was all of the above, but in your mind, what, what was the biggest factor in the disappointment of the Toronto Raptors 2022 and 2023 season? Just the overall disconnectedness, I think, you know, Masai said it, he didn't enjoy watching this team play. No one did, right? And there was selfishness. There was uh, just a lot of different things on the court where you could see they weren't operating as, you know, five as one, you know? Um, And I think that's something that we are so used to associating with the Raptors over the years. And I've said this before, right? Like the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. And that was definitely not the case this season. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing that went wrong. You know, I I found it interesting because when, you know, Nick Nurse has talked about it, he's written, you know, he's discussed it in his book about 
you know, you can't treat individual goals as an elephant in the room. And mm -hmm. you have to recognize that players are going to have their individual goals. And the coach's job is to sort of, you know, get them to understand that the individual goals can't happen without the team goals. Like if you want to make an all defensive team, if you want to make an all NBA team, if you want whatever award, like winning is the first thing. And then, you know, if you have the wins, then people start talking about you differently. Sure. Uh, so him not being able to at least convey that message strongly enough or get people to buy into that uh, when that's something that, you know, he fully acknowledges is one of the things you have to do as a coach is, is probably, you know, something he'll look back on and try to learn from. And then, you know, you've seen some of the leaks as well. I can't get too much uh, into that because of my role with Raptors.com. But, you know, you, you've seen the, uh, the leaks in terms of, uh, you know, managing player relationships, uh, coach relationships, I, all of that. I want to, if I can, I guess, ask you a little bit about what are your thoughts on, on Nick Nurse firing? And maybe after that, maybe give who do you think are the leading candidates to maybe be the next uh, head coach of the Toronto Raptors? Yeah, so I think it was the right decision because like relationships had deteriorated, deteriorated, and I think that uh, a new voice was needed. Uh, someone who's more culture oriented was was needed, and uh, you know structure as well. You know, I, I think Nick Nurse with his offensive philosophy as well. I've asked him about you know the importance of like hierarchy in the offense. And his answer has always been like, Hey, like he thinks one of the great strengths of the team is that like anyone can go off for like 25, 30, whatever it is. And everyone else just falls in line. Um, but I do think you saw a clear weakness with a young team, at mm. least, Yeah, you know, not having that structure and not knowing, you know, first, second, third, fourth, that type of thing. And so, um, I think when you look at all that, it was time to move on. Um, I think that this roster is flawed mm -hmm. for sure. And so that didn't help Nick's case. I do think he is, you know, if, if you gave him like what his dream roster would be and what his dream style of play would be, it would be much more in line with the modern NBA of like, you know, let's get to the paint as much as possible. Let's take as many threes as possible. Um, and that was kind of what he tried to do, not just, you know, when he took over as head coach, but the season before when he revamped the offense uh, under Dwayne Casey. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think there was a bit of a mismatch there as well. Um, and with kind of, I mean, I don't know if you can talk about it, but the, with what what are you hearing are maybe the leading candidates for the next head coach of the Raptors? And is there anyone that you see that you prefer or um, I mean, for me, I, I'd be really curious in Becky Hammond, I think just a Spurs um, and just for kind of the culture, like it changes everything. It's the first woman coach yeah. um, head coach of an NBA team. And I mean, it's not like she's coming from, no offense to the Charlotte Hornets, but maybe a Charlotte Hornets. It's obviously the Spurs and 
you look at Udoka, yeah. obviously Udoka has some baggage, but he was a good coach and there's such a big tree from the Spurs. So that's maybe my favorite, but it might be more sentimental. Um, but who do you think would be um, maybe a good uh, um, candidate or, or who would be a good uh, coach for the Toronto Raptors? Yeah, so I would I would say as of right now, you know, May 4th, uh, there's no like leading candidates that they have. Um, they have like just spread a very wide net and they're just kind of ga- gauging what everyone brings to the table and what that looks like. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Raptors history, right, Nick Nurse was an assistant coach before he became a head coach. Uh, Dwayne Casey was an assistant with the Mavs, right? And then became a head coach. So that's where I'd sort of, if if you were to, you know, take some guesses as to where the next head coach will come from, that's probably the way I'd lean. Um, I think, you know, when I look at someone like Charles Lee with the Bucks, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he would be someone the Raptors would, okay. uh, you know, specifically you know, draw into like the final three candidates or whatever it may be, just because in terms of being a culture builder, I wouldn't want that to go to someone who's a first time head coach. Yeah. Um, so that's where, you know, I lean, I, I don't know. So now I'm just going into my own speculation of what I'd like to see all of that. Um, Becky Ammon would absolutely be fantastic. Uh, I just don't see why she would leave her current situation, Um, especially with, you know, the way uh, other teams have kind of uh, blown the opportunity to bring her in. And I could see her just saying, hey, like, I'm very happy in my role right now. And I don't don't see a reason to move on now. If Masai wants to offer up a a huge financial (laughs) gain, Yeah. Uh, then maybe that's something to think about. But for now, I don't see why uh, she would put herself too seriously in the mix. Um, obviously, a responsible thing on her part is to, you know, if they're asking to meet with her, take the interview, see what's what, and then you go from there. Um, but beyond Becky, you know, I would wait to see what's happening with the Clippers. I think if okay. Ty Lu becomes available, he would undoubtedly be my number one option um i think he i think he has a case for being the best coach in the league i think yeah. he is absolutely awesome um yeah. and uh so he would be at the top of my list if he were to become available um but i think got fired coach Bud yeah. got fired and, and but, i know i'm pretty sure he was one of the I think he was offered the job before Nick Nurse, or there's some rumor where he, he was definitely deep in the process. So. Right. Yeah. No, he was that. definitely in the in the list of final candidates the last time around. Um, I am not too keen on Bud. Me neither. But that's I just thought of it because he just got fired, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, again, I would not be surprised if the Raptors did their due diligence and like, even if there were things they didn't like about him five years ago. I'm sure they would still like interview him and try to see, Hey, what changes can be made or like how, you know, what areas have you changed in, you know, 
we know it we know it's not the adjustments <laughs> so <laughs> yeah um i think uh kenny atkinson would be high on my list i think he got an unfair shake in brooklyn and i thought he was building something really strong uh you know and really brought a blue collar mentality to that team before they got katie and kyrie and so you know he's someone who's uh experienced um has head coaching experience has had good assistant roles um and so i think he would be high on my list as well uh and you know from there i don't know what the international prospects look like mm-hmm. um but i again i think in terms of you know resetting a culture and all that i would probably lean towards a guy who has like an experience building a culture so you know we'll see what happens with tyloo um kenny atkinson for sure would be um like i would be surprised if he wasn't in like the final five candidates or whatever yeah i I, you you said you mentioned multiple times about culture and what's next for the raptors this offseason obviously they have um fred gary and then yaka as free agents uh, ufas and and probably can't retain all of them but what's the direction of this team are they gonna retain all or try to retain two or three of them um are they gonna rebuild it sounds like they're not kind of trading away everyone and trading to siakam but what's next for the toronto raptors because the their future feels pretty murky unlike most years yeah so i think you know part of why we saw the change in coaching is because the front office has a a very high opinion of what this roster is capable of and i think on some level they would want to see how it plays out with a different coach. And so I would not be surprised if they re-signed uh, Yak, uh, Fred, and Gary and kicked the cannon uh, a bit further down the road. And frankly, I would agree with at least, you know, bringing them back from the sense that you cannot continue this trend since the championship season of losing players for nothing. Like, that is like those are things that just set you back as a franchise and they can't continue to do that and so at the very least and i would be with the exception of uh gary i would be opposed to a sign and trade yeah okay and and so um because I, I just don't think you get enough value in a sign and trade um and so you know if you were to resign you know you wait out six months and then, hey, if there's something that presents itself at the trade deadline, then, you know, you, you can go ahead and look at that. But, uh, you know, I, I would not be surprised if you saw most of this team return. Um, yeah. And then, you know, under a different coach, if things are still, you know, not playing out to the ceiling that this front office thinks this roster has, then I think uh, they will uh, reassess. But I think this is a front office that is extremely deliberate. I think, uh, you know, when Masai says that they are detail-oriented, I think it's for them having as much information as possible before they commit to a decision. No, for sure. And I want to move 
to a decision that they made that a lot of fans really loved in, in year one and maybe felt a bit uh, in between it in year two. And that's drafting Scotty Barnes. And obviously I would not say that I don't, I don't even think he would say that his second year was a success, pretty lackluster. Well, I wasn't, wasn't necessarily a complete disappointment, but for him, what does he need to improve on in in this off season in his game? And, and maybe have you, what, what do you think of him now going into year three of maybe in terms of his ceiling and, and what's next for him in terms of his game? Yeah. So I think for him, the main thing is to continue to build his game. Um, or I should say really focus on building his game inside out. And I think this season, when you look at the first couple months, there were a lot of pull-up threes, a lot of deep twos. And I think he's just got to like slowly evolve inside out like, because he's just so, he can be so dominant inside his combination of like strength and touch um, and finesse and like the way he's able to maneuver himself around the basket. Like there's very, very few players at that age that can do that. And so I think he needs to like embrace that. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, this is all part of being a sophomore in the league and frankly, having your first off season as an NBA player. Right. And now, you know, the good thing is when you make a bunch of mistakes, you have a lot to learn from. <laughs> and so I think there's a lot that he can pick at say, okay, I can do the, this better. I can do that better. And so I think this summer, his off-season routine will be a lot more refined. Um, and I fully expect him to bounce back and have a really good third season. And yeah, I, I think as long as he, focus, he focuses on the inside out um, and, you know, it, the playmaking, all of that stuff will come. Um, I think in the half court, he's just going to get better and better at like making reads um understanding uh you know making like secondary reads and tertiary reads and you know being able to anticipate what defenses are doing and like pick apart that before it even happens all of that stuff like i think he's smart enough to do it i think he's got all the passes uh in the bag to do it um and again all the moves inside to do it as well so yeah i think it's just about like i think when you're as good as he is and the talent can spread so wide, it's easy to be like, okay, I'm going to try and do everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's okay for him to be like, okay, let me just focus on this first. Let me excel at that in practice in a game. Then let's move on to the next thing. I think if he does that, you know, the next season will be a huge success. What what I really personally want from him is just a bit more pick and roll. Like I want to see that game because he's such a good passer, obviously not a, a depth uh, score yet, but he's still great around the rim. And, and you can definitely get that off of pick and roll um, diving down into the lane. So that's something I hope a new coach kind of, cause he had very low kind of rates of, of going in the pick and roll. And that'd be something just to might as well, like see what he can do and, and, and progress that way.
Yeah, so much so much of what the Raptors did, again, you know, we talk about that selfish play, that disconnected play. So much of it was just like, hey, here's the mismatch. Let's ISO that. And then let's, yeah. you know, see if a double team comes. Let's see what we can exploit and then just go from there, right? And obviously we saw the pick and rolls increase once Siaka Pirtle came into the mix. But you're absolutely right. They can they can look at all of that stuff a lot more. Like this is not this is not the 1718 Warriors where Steve Kerr is saying, No, I don't want to run pick and roll with Steph and KD all the time, because then that takes away from the team dynamic, right? Like this is a this is a team looking for a team dynamic. <laughs> and and half court offense, right? Like that's this yeah. team's been such a bad half court offense to yeah. team. Like just to throw in another wrinkle that's can definitely get create good shots is or hopefully, but just to see might as well your half court offense is so bad. Yeah. Right. So um I, I wanna ask you a little bit um about Siakam because he had probably I'd say the best year of his career. And um what what's next for him to improve in his game? And if you're the Raptors, do you assign him to the Supermax or whatever the 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 next extension they can because he is a free agent or he can opt out in, in next year after next season yeah so i think that well first off i i don't think um siakam is going to be eligible for the supermax because i don't think he will make all um NBA. an all nba team so uh i think that's something uh that then you look at okay what would the max contract look like for him and it'd be about four years 190 um as opposed to like four years 280 um so i think at four years 190 i'd feel a lot more comfortable with that and i would absolutely offer that to him um i think as these numbers get bigger and bigger uh, it's really important to look at it as a percentage of the cap as opposed to just being like four years, 190, that's yeah. crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but when you look at it as a percentage of the cap, that that is what will tell you that like, okay, yeah, he's worth it. Um, and then, you know, I think that's the type of contract that would still keep him very much in the mix for teams looking to add like that, you know, that second guy or, you know, even that 1B guy. Um, I think, I think Pascal has elevated his playmaking to a point. He's elevated his mid range to a point where you can, uh, even look at him as a one B guy. I don't think he's a one A guy, no. um, but he's somewhere in between that one B and two A, um, which is a great place to be. And I think like that four year, one ninety mil deal, uh, or thereabouts is right in line with what that type of player commands. Yeah, and I mean, he's also, I think he's 29. So you get him for into his early 30s, but it's not as though it's yeah. Chris Paul at 38 or something. like. It, and I mean, it, hey, if he plays out another four years as a Raptor, yeah. those record books, <laughs> yeah, no, franchise record books, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, is he close? I haven't checked it off the top of my head, but is he close to DeMar or, or Kyle Lowry on stuff like that? I'm, I probably can check it uh as we're on but uh yeah yeah no he he's up there in, in a bunch of categories like say for example uh you know right now he's sixth in games played um mm-hmm. if you were to look at points he is fifth wow. um and he's like 
a thousand behind Vince, which means like next season he would pass. Yeah, half a season almost, yeah. He, yeah. Um, and you know, if he's if he continues to score at the rate he's scoring, like there's a chance he could pass Chris Bosch too, because Chris mm-hmm. Bosch is about twenty two hundred points wow. ahead. Wow. Okay. Cool. So um, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I think he's just elevated to a whole level that I really didn't think would happen after the 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 Tampa bubble and even a little bit of last year or or twenty one twenty two season. Just his playmaking, his shooting. Um, he's just been such an effective player, and I think you're right. He's not a one A. He's not the best player on a championship team, but I think about how much better that Raptors team is in twenty nineteen if they have Pascal Siakam that is that he is right now and yeah this version yeah yeah like they probably slice up the east um <laughs> unlike uh basically uh gritting their teeth and, and barely surviving yeah. no i mean even little things you think about over the course uh of you know for example when they played philly and one of Philly's adjustments was to like, hey, we'll put Embiid on him and just have Embiid back off. And like that way Embiid's like ready to protect the paint too. It's like, well, in this version of Pascal will happily take that mid-range jumper every time. And it's like, you can't back off now. Yeah. Right? So little things like that. Um, he, Yeah, he's a much, much better player than he was in uh, the championship season, which... You know, that version was pretty good too. Pretty good. I mean, most improved, right? So <laughs> I, I want to ask, I want to move a little bit to the NBA quickly, if if you don't mind. And of course, have you thought of the NBA playoffs so far? I mean, there's been so many upsets, so much drama. Some, I think some series like the Kings Warriors game uh, series, sorry, was such, such high level basketball. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts of, of the playoffs so far? And um, do you enjoy the parody in the league that, it seems as though there is right now. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. I think this is the best playoffs I've seen in a while. Like, it's so engaging. You know, we're long removed from just assuming, uh, you know, the Warriors are going to play the Cavs and oh, just waiting for that. I hated right? that. Yeah. And yeah. now it's like the fact that, you know, you've got a team like Miami that can take down the, the you know, uh, the Bucks. You've got, um, you know, the Lakers coming in as uh, the seven seed and taking out the Grizzlies. You know, what was it the the first time that you know all eight seeds were represented in the second round? Oh wow, um, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. like you have so one, two, one, three, two, four, three, five, six, seven, eight. It's all, all in the second round. Wow, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, so I think that speaks for itself. Um, and yeah, it's super exciting. Like even now with eight teams left, there's probably six that you can make a case for winning the title, right? Like I probably only exclude, um, the Knicks and you know, who else are you leaving out? Yeah. Yeah. The heat are weird. I find it. They never die. Seven out of the eight you can make a case for. Yeah, I think the Heat, I, personally, I don't, I, if they won the title, I'd be like, this. something went wrong. But yeah. <laughs> but they've been so good and they've made conference finals. They made the, obviously, the bubble finals. So, um, and and I think to go off and that. Playoff Jimmy is different. Oh, I, that's the, with Bud <laughs> and the adjustments, that was the stupidest thing. They just would, 
assume that he can't shoot threes. And it's like, well, in the playoffs, he's shooting 42% from three. He's not 20, whatever, 6%. Yeah. And, um, but uh, I, th- I think that I, it's so funny because I'm a hockey fan and it just, it's, it feels like a hockey playoffs where guys get injured, anything can happen. Um, and every series feels like, maybe you have a, like, a series you prefer, but none of them feel dull. Like even the, Nuggets uh, versus Suns, which is 2-0, and the games have been kind of lopsided. It's still Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker. It's not... <laughs> no, for sure. And like, and the flip side of that, like, even with the Clippers losing Kawhi and PG, those those remaining games were still competitive. Super competitive. Uh, Ty yeah. Lu, as you mentioned, like, such a good coach. And I don't know what happened to Russell Westbrook. That that was not... Yeah, I was out I of did not see that coming two years ago, and... Uh, <laughs> I mean, good for him. Like the the one thing I like about Ralph no, great Westbrook, for him, yeah. with West with Westbrook, sorry, is just that um, he always tried hard for the most part, right? And you could tell he cared, right? So yeah, you, you never faulted the effort. Yeah, yeah, maybe the decision making, but um, so that's that's also a really interesting next year is who who picks him up, but um, yeah, yeah. But do you have a favorite right now? Because for me, I, I I feel it's Denver, but I that's me throwing a dart at a dartboard. I, I don't feel super confident. You know, it probably is Denver, um, based on the way they've played. But I I do think that the Warriors just have this unbelievable mm. sort of oomph to them. You know, like I didn't think. As as well as the Kings played, even after the Warriors lost Game Six, I was like, they're gonna figure out a way. Yeah. Like and and like even with this series now with the Lakers, like I do expect them to come out of it. Like, okay. uh, I think they'll just make adjustments. As, and and again, like you see their experience, like Steve Kerr talking after Game One, it's like, yeah, we lost. Like we felt some things out we saw some things we'll be back we'll be ready game two um and and i think you know you can boil down that x factor that they have to you know the fact that they went 11 and 30 on the road or whatever it was this season and you did you did wonder like oh is that going to carry over and instead no it's the fact that hey we've won like a road game in 28 straight series. Yeah, no, it's crazy. That, yeah. My, my, I guess it's not really Stephen A. Smith, but that Mike Greenberg question is, is Steph Curry the best, uh, playing the best of his career in your mind? Because I think he's playing maybe at the highest level he's ever played, which is crazy. Yeah. What, 34 and unanimous? No, I, I think last year and this year, like he's been somehow above like the level that he set from like 15 to 18 whatever you want to call it right um yeah i think this this version of him is just incredible like as confident as steph curry is i don't think he's been this confident no. um and again it goes down uh, you know you you think about two of his most iconic performances now it will be like that game 4 against boston in the finals last year and and now this game seven, the first ever to score fifty uh in a game seven. Yeah. Um 
and a blowout like too at the end. Too. Yeah, people crazy. are gonna remember that. Um, and you know, he if he gets this team back in the finals, like win or lose, like I think it's pretty much set in stone that he's the greatest point guard of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ahead of Magic, if you count Magic as a point guard. Yeah, like I think if he's able to like get them to the finals, um. And especially if he, I think if he wins another ring for sure, um, because like yeah, right now I still leave him behind Magic, but I think if he were to get another one, like he is just insane, and like wow. the the degree to which he just loves the moment, yeah, like it makes you laugh at some of the stuff people used to say back in like 2015, 2016 about him, you know, yeah, or or, or I. I... <laughs> I think I was listening to a pod and how everyone was just like, oh, you just have to rough him up. And he, <laughs> it's like, oh, you just, you know, put a forearm on him and uh, uh, he, he'll be like, he'll, he'll fall away. And like, obviously that's not the case. And I'm also, I mean, this again, this is kind of funny to me, but if he were to win a fifth ring, the LeBron Steph Curry debate <laughs> might become a thing. Like, I, I still yeah. think I'd go LeBron. I think the stats and everything, but that's that's tough that that's really tough i think um it becomes yeah, i a mean i still that it, that it probably wasn't ever a debate i think if he got the five in lebron state at four or yeah four. i i think it would start to become a debate i think for me it would still like pretty clearly be lebron because i don't think during that like when they were when they would battle each other from 15 yeah. to 18 like it was very clear that LeBron was the best player on the court. Yeah. Right. Like sure. Steph might've ended up with more rings, but I don't think anyone who knows the game of basketball was watching those games mm-hmm. thinking LeBron was not the best player on the court. The game one where yeah. I forget how many like 50 something, but the J.R. Smith game, like that was maybe the best basketball you've ever seen by a player since Michael Jordan, probably. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was insane. Yeah. Like a lot of people still go back and say like, oh, like 2013 Braun was better. Like 2012 Braun was better. For me, 2018 LeBron is like the best I've ever seen him. Like his understanding of like controlling the game, his his like his jump shot, everything was just at like this serene level, right? I think that's, I think there is like, a serenity that you associated with MJ yeah where like it always it always felt like the game was in his hands yeah and like for those couple years like it felt like no matter what the game was in LeBron's hands mm-hmm. and the only thing that could stop that was a freak you know cap spike that allowed the Warriors to get Kevin Durant and, and have the most stacked team. team in I mean, I hate to say it, but 2017 is the best team of all time. I think like I love 01 Lakers. I'm, I'm, I'm not hating on them. You can talk about teams in the eighties with the Lakers and Celtics and obviously 95, 96, but yeah, I think that 2017 team is just everyone at, at their peak. I also think what's interesting with LeBron in 2018, and you can talk about Michael maybe in, 93 and, and 95 96 is just it's that where 
they're getting old enough where their mind is so smart, but they just yeah. have enough of their athleticism. Obviously they're always, they're always freak athletes, but they're still peak enough where it doesn't, they coincide. And even though they might be 31, 32, um, they're just so smart that it makes up for that 5% less athleticism and just makes them superhuman. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Mike Greenberg, uh, had a great quote about um michael jordan where he said uh the first three pete the first mj three pete he was the best player ever okay and then the second three pete he was the best player in the world huh that's interesting like, in that moment yeah and yeah. so like he still knew enough and like knew how to manage everything enough to like be the best player on the court and you know, the best player in the league. Uh, but like that first version of him, that first three Pete, it was like, he was it, like 90, a combination of athleticism, if anyone, talent, everything. Someone has to watch 93 play like the NBA finals. Cause I think he averaged like 37, six and six on like just, and you watch it and it's just he's so effortless and skilled and that team they played against and anyways um but yeah no i, I definitely agree with that and um if it, if it's not the to i know we got a bit sidetracked but who do you like in that series with lebron and steph i guess that's what i want to ask you because i i i think the game one made me feel if anthony davis is healthy which is a big if i like the lakers just a bit more in terms of the matchup more than necessarily that I think they're a better team. Right. Um, so I'm picking the Warriors. Uh I I think uh I would be surprised if Anthony Davis ended up being the best player uh on the court four times. He's done it once. So yeah. kudos to him for that. If he does it three more times, then you tip your hat. But um yeah i think i i think with steph the other thing too is and i thought about this when the draymond suspension happened for mm -hmm. game three against the uh, against the kings and you know people were kind of like oh is this the end of the warriors now is this the end of the dynasty all of that like people were starting these narratives mm -hmm. and i was like no one would ever say that if it was like peak LeBron or, you know, peak, like mm -hmm. there's like a fear factor and a level of respect that like, you would just be like, yeah, LeBron will figure this out. And Steph figured it out. And that's the thing. I I don't know if it's cause he's a smaller dude or whatever it is. Right. Like, no, I, I think he's just playing at that level. Like I think he's playing better than Kevin Durant has ever played. Now yeah. that, that might be a hot take, but I think him and LeBron, these two kind of peaks that are haven't been simultaneous are the best two peaks in the past 15 years. You can maybe say Kawhi yeah. in 2019, but that's Kawhi's just been injured, but um, yeah, a really interesting tweet on that. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think you're completely right. Just where that level is just unreal. Um, and I think also LeBron, I think you can really, this feels the first year with LeBron where it really feels He's just old. Yeah. Like, he's great. He's he's not bad. He's probably better than 
he's and he's still got the smarts. Like he's still the smartest guy out there. Yeah. Right. Like he knows everything that's coming his way. He knows uh, how to manage situations and all of that. Um, he just can't physically do the things he once did. And you can see that he's shooting really poorly from three. He's not shooting well um, from the floor as well. Um, yeah. I mean, it's still awesome. But I think that's the thing is a lot of times in basketball, it's which team has the better dude, right? Yeah. Right. And I think we were talking about Steph like last year, the Celtics were a better team, but who had who had the best player? And it was Steph. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think you're right about the Anthony Davis is that he sh- he could be, but he's never really shown us that he can be that dominant consistently more than a game here or there. Right. And yeah, like if you if you were to do a draft, like Steph goes one, and then you have AD and LeBron two three, like in this draft players yeah. from the series. Yeah. Um, AD LeBron go two three LeBron AD however you want to put it, um, and then four five six seven are arguably all Warriors, right? Like Wiggins, Draymond, Clay, Looney. Yeah, I think I think you're like, right about that. Like Actually, someone, Austin, someone, honestly, no, so Reeves, someone might throw Austin Reeves ahead of Austin like Looney could be ahead of some of those guys, but other than that, I don't think so. I think you're right. Yeah, and so I think. To me, that over a seven-game series, like that will play out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you throw in the home court for the Warriors, right? Yeah. Which technically the Lakers have taken back, but I've never bought that. <laughs> no, and also in the NBA now, it's you never see series that just follow the home team. It never happens, right? So yeah, it doesn't it feels much more open court? Like it just throw it up and let's see who wins. It doesn't really matter, right? Like look at the the King series too against the Golden State the last three games were won by the road team. Like it doesn't yeah. really matter. Um in a lot I mean of- I expect the Warriors to win game two. And then I expect them to win one of two in LA. Yeah. Right. And maintain that streak of, you know, winning on the road at least once every series. My question to you is right now, who's bet- playing better if it is if it is Steph that is vanquishes uh, LeBron and AD and it, they play the Nuggets, which it seems as though the Nuggets will probably win that series just because of everything. Yeah. Who do you like more? Because that I'm actually not sure who's. Yeah. Because Jokic is such. Yeah, I love a coin. So <laughs> because they're such team guys too. But yeah. Like Steph never got 50, but that's not who he is. He's not someone that forces. 26 shots um but i mean he did in game seven but yeah so i think i would give the edge to the nuggets it's a pick em series but i would give the edge to the nuggets because they would have home court and what i said about ad in terms of like not trusting that he can be the best player in the series four times mm-hmm. i trust that Jokic can be the best player in the series for four games yeah no, I, I I totally agree. I think that is like that. I I would pay so much to to go to a game or just yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be watching that series, but that I'm so excited for because I just think that will be such fun basketball too. Like because Nuggets offense oh, is absolutely so great with Jokic, and you could kind of see that. I think that's what made the Kings series so fun was even though the Kings didn't shoot well, that just their offense was really good, and then you have obviously Golden State's offense, and it was just. Those first two three games were just the hot, such high level basketball, and um, 
it's going to be on just next level. And, and if, if that's the next series, um, yeah. do you, do you have, what team do you like coming out of the East? I guess. I don't think Embiid is fully healthy, so I will roll with um, the Celtics. Mm-hmm. But I would not be surprised at all at this point if Jimmy just goes on a rampage um, mm-hmm. and takes the heat to the finals. Yeah, no, that would be Jimmy Butler will have the weirdest Hall of Fame. Like, like <laughs> he, might have, he might have the weirdest first ballot Hall of Fame, honestly. <laughs> If he makes the finals twice with those teams, it's not as though he took, he didn't yeah. have a, I mean, I like Bam, but Bam is, I'd rather have Pascal Siakam than Bam. No, realistically, Bam is like the third best player on a championship team. Yeah. At least right now. Like maybe one day he can be yeah. better than that. But yeah, no, um, I, I, I think uh, I'm really happy the Knicks are good. I, mm-hmm. I know that's uh, not a hot take, but it's just so much fun to have them be good. Their fans msg has just been amazing and i think the celtics i don't know what's there's something maybe it's the coach this year because i don't think their adjustments in game have been great but that team it feels like there's something missing that they should be better than they have well what's really surprising is like they you know obviously you know they keep showing this tendency to play with their food um but on top of that it's like they're making the same mistakes that they made last year right like Brogdon was supposed to help the ball handling and the playmaking and all of that. Um, but they still, it just seems like they really need a true point guard. And yeah, I, I think at some point it'll probably cost them. Like it's, it's funny. We've been talking about how, you know, the East has the best teams in the league this season, but you know, I would probably edge towards the champ coming out of the West. Yeah. Um, Especially with Milwaukee out. Because I I thought Milwaukee was going to... That's such a weird... I mean, I think, honestly, obviously they got unlucky with Giannis getting injured, but Coach Bud, just that game five is just... Even the game four, but just the lack... Just it was... Just everything went wrong. and For a team that's won a title, to show that complete lack of poise down the stretch of two games back to back like that. And then especially on your home floor was just shocking. Yeah. And it's interesting. I listened to Zach Lowe who had a huge rant on his podcast, which was awesome because Zach isn't normally like that, but what was interesting, he talked about how it skewed, how he saw 2021. And I thought that was so interesting because that team was the Kevin Durant foot, right? Yeah. You go back, Trey Young got injured in the conference finals CP was injured throughout the playoffs. I think he pulled a hammy and he got COVID, I think, too. And and that team was just a year too early, right? It's it's funny with that Suns team. Obviously, they 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 made it to the finals in 2021, but they probably yeah. should have made it in 2022. Um, and so everything kind of fell in their lap, and they still really didn't do it in the best way. Like they could have done it. Yeah, I'll push back on that one a little okay. bit. Because okay. No, just no. because I, I think you can always do that with any championship team. That's like that'd be like a making that 2019 argument that a lot of people love yeah. to make about the Warriors or, you know, what if the Kawhi shot doesn't go in, you know? Um, what if, you know, Kyrie doesn't break his knee, kneecap in, you know, 2015? Uh, what if Draymond doesn't get suspended? You know, I think there's 
with every championship run, there's like these little moments in history that could have completely, you know, changed the course. And like, they're great talking points. There's like, you know, all these sliding doors moments. But I think you could look at any championship team that way. And I think you're right, actually, now that I think about it. And it's weird because I think more about how they lost last year and how they missed Middleton. Yeah. Easily Middleton's there, they win that series. And if they had Middleton at decent health, they probably win the championship, right? And that's just unlucky, right? Um, And so you have to take that into account as well, right? So I I think... Like, remember last year with the Warriors, people were like, oh, um, you know, who who was it that got injured in the first round? Uh, They had... Nuggets. Before Memphis. Nuggets. They played Nuggets. Yeah, and and so... Jaw got injured, I think, in the Nuggets series. So Ja got injured, you know, with the Nuggets. Obviously, you had Jamal and MPJ out. And so people are just like, oh, you know, the Warriors had a good path and this and that. And it's like, this just happens. This is a, this is, that's why they call the NBA season a marathon, right? Like part of it is survival too. Yeah. Yeah, I know for <laughs> sure. And, and that's what I find interesting with the Nuggets is they really felt as though they understood that this year. And and maybe they don't win. I'm not saying that, but it really felt at the end of the year, they didn't play well. Everyone said, oh, they're not that good. That really surprised me. Like, I was like, no, this team just clearly, like, dominated and, like, locked up that one seed and now is just coasting. Like, it's so apparent. But, like, people were, like, doubting, like, their championship credentials now. And I was like, what am I missing? I I also think there's that Jokic maybe hate a little bit until... (laughs) Until he does it, which some might yeah. get to an extent because he they haven't made it like they made the conference finals, but the bubble feels like its own thing. Right. Um and until they see it as fans, they don't believe it. But yeah, I mean if you watch the games, you should not <laughs> uh, doubt no. Nikola Jokic at all. Um he's no. just he's him and Steph I've just oh I just love watching them play. They're just I mean, they're I think they're the two best players in the world. Maybe that's a hot take with Giannis, but um, and Embiid maybe, but I, they're definitely my two favorite players to watch that aren't Raptors because I'm a homer. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable take. Right. And I think even if like, you can definitely make the argument that if you put Embiid one-on-one against Jokic, Embiid probably wins. Yeah. Um, but I think that's not basketball. Basketball <laughs> basketball isn't one on one. Yeah. Yeah. And if you give me five on five um for an eighty-two game regular season plus another hopefully twenty or more games in the postseason, right? I'll take Jokic every time. Yeah. No, for sure. No, no, I definitely agree. Um, I feel as though we've we've had this really cool like the shop kind of discussion. <laughs> so I appreciate this. And I want to move it a little bit to another shop uh, discussion that I might be a bit less familiar with, but I think um, my my good friend, uh, Kieran, uh, has a cricket question for you. And I, you've been covering cricket, the IPL, if people don't know, which is the Indian Premier League, which is basically the highest level of cricket. It's confusing for people that don't know, but um, think about it, maybe the Champions League of, uh, <laughs> of cricket it's not exactly that and he, he has a couple of questions for you and and i want yeah, to let's go give them to you and he told me that the ipl has changed or has this rule where 
Um, they're allowed four overseas players to play in each IPL team. Yeah. Um, I think during the game itself, if that's correct, like they can have more on the roster, but only yes, four, exactly um, on the team. And and why does the IC or the IPL not allow more? Is it just because they want Indian um, players to be playing? Is that basically the reason? And and maybe why don't they expand that a little bit? Yeah. So I think it's primarily because they want to m- maintain that pipeline of like young Indian talent that comes in and making sure that they get the opportunity to like rub shoulders with some of the best players in the world um, that aren't from India um, and keeping that opportunity alive. And I think, I think it's a really good thing because when I look at as someone who's a soccer fan, right. Um, you look at, say, for example, a Man City, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the whole squad, you can count the number of English players on one hand. Yeah, maybe four or five. Yeah. And like you can pretty much do that across like the top four, uh, you know, or at least the four highest spenders, right? Uh, and I think there is something healthy about maintaining that opportunity for domestic players. Um would would i'm i wouldn't mind seeing it being like six five as okay. opposed to seven four because i also think you have to look at the balance of like pushing those indian players to like make the team mm-hmm. uh like you don't want any handouts um and so i wouldn't mind seeing seeing a six five balance but i do like the fact that there is like this domestic uh requirement and um I think you it's an important part of keeping like each country's uh level at a certain standard as well, right? Like I think when you look at the FIFA World Cup for example, right? Um Brazil hasn't won a World Cup since 2002. Argentina became the first South American team to win the World Cup since 2002. Mm-hmm. And it's been European team after European team after European team, right? And I think part of that is because, like, there was a time when, like, Brazilian clubs, Argentinian clubs had a lot of strong players, and it was a very healthy league. Um, like, you look at teams like, you know, whether it's River Plate or Sao Paulo yeah. or Corinthians, like, these were all really, really good teams. And no one talks about those teams anymore. Um, because guess what? All these great Brazilians and Argentinians are all playing for Man City and you know Arsenal or whoever else, yeah. right? And so I think it's hurting the domestic product. Um, and so, uh, you know, th- that's where I see the positive in it. Mm. That's interesting. I, I I keep thinking a little bit. I mean, it's not the best parallel, but to the CFL a little bit because they have that rule where that you have to have a certain amount of Canadians on the field and, and that um he has he has a second question for you this Let's one I, I think I get it um and it's the impact player mm-hmm. which I believe is that it, it's kind of like a DH almost I, that that's not the best baseball analogy but what I've been told is that it, essentially in cricket because you have batters and bowlers but everyone if you're a bowler, primarily, you still have to bat, right? Yeah. Um, and with this impact player, you're allowed one throughout the whole game. And you can basically, let's say uh, you have a really good batter who sucks at 
bowling or fielding, you can hit to begin the game and then get out and then you put in a bowler, right? Is that yep. correct? Yep. So my, my and vice versa, right? Like, yeah, if yeah. you're bowling first, you have your bowler go and, and then, then you put, in, you put yeah. in the batter when, when you're up next. And so what do you think? And that's a new rule. Is that correct? Is, yeah. And so, so what, season, they've done this. what have you seen? What impact have you seen on that of the impact player? I'm saying impact twice um, on, on the, the IPL and maybe should it be more than one because maybe it should be that you get two or three so that it's not just <laughs> all the bad bowlers, uh, right. And vice versa. So number one impact is uh, higher scores. You're seeing a lot higher scores now. And I think part of that is like you had that added depth. And so people, you know, bat- batters can be more aggressive. Um, in terms of, I think, something that's potentially a negative impact. If this rule doesn't get applied to international cricket, I could see it hurting. Like right now, um, if we're looking at it solely from an IPL perspective, and this is the only place it's being used, uh, it might be in the Big Bash League. Um, the Australian League? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but if you're looking at it specifically from the IPL, I could see it hurting India's like all round talent. Um, because as it is, you know, it's the batters who make the big bucks. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think you see less and less batters now, especially from India who can also just give you a few overs that, that can bowl a little bit. Right. Not saying they have to be like genuine all rounders. You, you're seeing far less of, of players who can do that. And so I think this rule would further discourage that um, where you're just saying, Hey, like I can just be an impact player. I can go, you know, just focus on my batting and that's it. And so over time that is going to impact like even the genuine all rounders, right. Where it's like, Hey, both the less and less you're thinking about another skill, the less likely it is that a player reaches their full potential. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My my so, question is for you as a someone that loves the game, do you want it to go to a place where there is less all-rounders? Like does that do you no. care about it if like let's say the ICC adopts the impact player rule, do you like that for the game of cricket or do you like the idea of players being able to yeah. No, I'm I'm not a fan of the rule. Um I guess I'm a little old school in that way and like uh People like Indian people, especially will think this is sacrilegious for me to say, but I, especially when I was playing, I took a lot of pride in being able to do everything. Like I wanted to bat well, I wanted to bowl well, I wanted to field well. Um, And I think that's how everyone should be thinking. And uh, so the sacrilegious part was like, obviously everyone, a lot of people regard Sachin Tendulkar as the greatest batsman of all time. But um, I actually disagree when people just call him flat out the greatest cricketer of all time because mm-hmm. from like he was never like a good bowler um he had a stretch where he was definitely serviceable and like had some really good moments as, as a bowler but um for me at least from like um the players that i grew up watching mm-hmm. the greatest cricketer uh was jock collis okay yeah yeah. Great batsman, great bowler, great fielder. Yeah. 
Uh, and like, I always had the biggest respect for um, the guys who were all rounders. Yeah. So um, I would be very against anything that sort of discouraged that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. I, I understood. It. I hope some of the listeners uh, enjoyed it and found it interesting. I know my friend Kieran uh, definitely will be uh, enthralled with the, the fact that he, we had some IPL uh, <laughs> and, and some cricket talk. And before I let you go, I want to, I'm in coming on, I want to give you the floor. Um, is there anything you're working on for people to to stay tuned for or anything in the pipeline? Uh, just, uh, raptors.com stuff as usual. Um, yeah, trying to work on some stuff uh, with CBC, but you know, it's, it's a long way down the road to like get to, uh, even a starting point mm-hmm. to forget, forget like having a finished product. So I don't want to talk about that stuff right now, but, um, yeah, besides that, you can just follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time Vivek. I, I really appreciate it. And on Twitter, I do miss your Vivek Ranadive, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, i mean yeah. you look more handsome in, in the new one but i, I, love, that. <laughs> I love that from uh ga- was it game of zones i think that's yeah the, yeah yeah so yeah. Um, thanks so much i really appreciate you taking the time again and uh i'm really excited for what's next for you well thanks so much thanks so much for having me this is a great chat